<laughs> yeah. Who knows? Totally Who's gonna come? Okay, Patricio, now we have to be, yeah. Serious. I have a very serious question. I remember sitting with you in the cafe at the in Poland. At the, I think it was the intimacy journey, here. and there was this conversation about the trainer path being a, a team of pirate. Do you remember yeah. this part? And and somehow this was there was this was like terrifying for you or it freaked you out or and can you say something about that yeah i mean i i already reading the what you posted yesterday um i mean i think it's the same freak out that um that i yeah like like changing you know i'm thinking oh my god like my plants are are they enamel or are they uh, Teflon? Te, te, or Teflon? So I went to look for, and I actually I have a Teflon pan. I was like, oh my god, I I have to like, what is this about? You know that I haven't paid attention to. So yeah, is this the this freak out about paying attention to being a pirate or paying attention to to be at the edge of of and you know this is a question that has been with me the whole week that is um you know reading the, the experiment you know the, this experiment that you were proposing about you know what what am i not doing or what i'm doing uh, in terms of being in the team or 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 making the team my team or yeah and one thing that I've discovered is that there is a a, a, a thoughtware in me that is like like keeping eggs in different baskets, something like that, you know, and 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 keeping you know making sure that I have a second basket of eggs. And what it does is not about having the eggs, but what it does is that. Uh, then I don't pay. I, I don't have time to pay attention to the other basket, you know. And what it is is that then suddenly, when, when I'm looking at the basket, it's just like that is the freak out. You mean at just the like, art, at the architect? I, I didn't pay attention to the. I didn't pay attention that I have a Teflon pan, you know, and that 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 is that. Uh, uh, you know, and that creates a hole somehow in in this. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, just before off this theme, I don't want to forget, but there are these incredible resources that we have, and mostly we block them, mm. and mostly we do the lone wolf, single fighter mind-oriented life and it takes a leap there's this kind of leap between or to jack into these resources and to radically rely on the resources mm. and the experiment that could be tried here is to put some things in a different basket and radically rely on your resources to put your attention on the right basket at the right time in the right way. 
And it's it's actually making the radical the resources a colleague or an ally <clears throat> that actually has the, the potential to put your attention in a place you've never had your attention before, or to move your attention even when you're in the middle of something you think is so important, or you're focused down and you you gotta get it done, or you it's so big, or you're scared, or whatever, and it moves your attention. You have to let it be able to move your attention to an entirely different place. Because that's where, that's how you can cause transformation. You, mm -hmm. need, you don't have access to the outside spaces. You'll be trapped into the single space. And but these resources know when to move your attention and get at other resources that you can't even see in the space you're in. But that's what's needed in the space for transformation. But it requires those two things, which I never thought before. But you have to have things in different baskets. But then you also have to radically rely on those resources to be able to move your attention when they want to, not when you want to. You know, and Patricio, you're, you know, in an orchestra, for example, you know, in that space, you cannot let anything take your attention except the conductor. That's it. And you are focused down in the music conductor's, you know, play space. And there's nothing. If you get lost, you know, you lose your profession. And that happened. Yeah, that that was my experience. I mean, I was being a musician this weekend, and that was my experience. That, but that is the freak out also that I couldn't pay attention to anything else. And 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 it's it, it's like it sucks me in into this space that it seems unique, and then I don't have access, or it doesn't seem to me that I have access to other spaces, or and that is the freak out, you know, that I that I I suddenly. Uh, lose the, the the this possibility of having access to to other space. It's an incredible thing to directly experience it. That these infinite resources. I'm talking about your archetypal lineage, your stellated archetypes, your bright principles, etc. Echo these archetypal forces of nature. It's, it's, it's wild, it's incredible to experience that they care. They actually care about your outcomes. They're actually that, you know, consciousness is this, I don't know, I'm, I've really been thinking about it for a long time about how, how sophisticated raw consciousness is. The field of, the, you know, the general field of consciousness is so sophisticated in terms of it's complexity and it's dense. It's nowhere not, it's everywhere. And it, you cannot escape it, whatever, but to get that that thing cares about the evolution of consciousness, about the character would care about you. So to the degree that you can let it drive almost, I, I don't mean in a car, but I mean in your life about mm. what you're having for breakfast even or what you wear, or who who you call, or what the timing is, or whatever. And you can, instead of worrying about, you know, did I, have I called the social security office last night? No, I did not. Well, why not? Well, I think I forgot, but actually I'm relying on my resources to put my attention on when it's time to call, because I need a certain operator to pick up the phone and make me a deal that no other operator has. Mm. So maybe that person's not there yet. I don't know, but I'm <laughs> radically relying on 
the resources to move my attention. And this is this is so incredible to be held, you know, cared for at the level of consciousness as a playmate, you know, as a as an ingredient. You're one of the ingredients, and the intelligence of that stuff is so vast. It's like incomprehensibly wise or whatever, and it will fuck my you know my box goes freaking out. And and yet here I am. Uh, I didn't die yet. And so things have worked out. <laughs> and it's not too bad. Can, can, yeah, I was well, I was gonna ask because that you it requires to have the ability to have free attention to be moved. And so can you talk about that about because there was this experiment in uh I, I can't remember. It was this anyway this ability okay to have enough free attention to be able to listen to consciousness mm -hmm. at large and to have this free attention to be have the attention to have enough free attention for our attention to be moved from like you said this one basket to the next basket so can you can you say anything about that mm -hmm. well, i could say about five days worth of stuff about that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah let's go <laughs> <laughs> We all go. We all go there. What? We all go to Vietnam for those five days. Right. It's, it's hot here. I even turned the air conditioner on. So, the there's this stuff called self observation, and if you have not become ridiculously or absurdly skilled in your ability to do self observation, you're fucked as as anybody trying to do magic or transformation or healing or possibility work, you're just fucked because you've got all these blockages in the way. And if you can't observe the sensations, the five body sensations of a blockage hanging lurking in the background, you know, and have these little tendrils of energy sucking vampire control, fear base, you know, stuff going on in the back of yourself. If you can't feel that thing's presence before it grabs you, before it seeps in, you know, it has these little tendrils kind of go in like, you know, these little, before that happens, if you don't notice that, you're fucked because that thing will leap into place when your attention is distracted by some kind of fear of something or anger about some reaction about something. But so that's what the self-observation is about. I mean, I calculated one of the last times I was meditating in a, one of the labs, I was sitting there calculating how many hours my butt has been on the cushion since I started meditating from like 1970 until 2010. And it's, it is, if you, if I were sitting eight hours a day, it's six years. Six years, eight hours a day, nothing else, seven days a week, but on the cushion doing self-observation. <laughs> if you if you shrink it down to 24 hour days, it's two years, nonstop, two years, 24 hours a day, no sleeping, no eating, no peeing, nothing. So I, I guess that has had some use. I mean, my logical mind goes, God, fucking wasted time. How many sparks could I have written if I had that kind of, you know, it's it's prime time. Sitting is prime time. Right. It's it's not 
lazing around doing nothing time. It's prime time. It's like work time. And so I used it all. In a, so, you know, we don't stress very much the meditation practice actually in our lives. And it's not really about that. It's about the self-observation. How much, how, 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 how many hours a day are you splitting your attention to notice what you're noticing and noticing what you're noticing with and noticing why and, and noticing like this general kind of self-observation. And it's, it's so, you know, it was hammered in me through my exposure to the Gurdjieff Foundation School in Sydney, Australia, starting in 1970, 81, 1981. And that's, and it was this whole work of, of notice, like noticing how you notice, like really it was splitting your attention. You have to split your attention and to detect purpose and detect mm, <clears throat> hidden competing commitments and baggage, you know, this burdens, burden, anything that's burdensome, like worries, any kind of guilt, you know, all those things and vanquishing them like just taking them through the meat grinder. And you're left, you know, if you do that, if you just, that's our work. And that's our inner work, inner navigating that is our work. And we just grind through that stuff. And it's horrible, at, especially at the beginning, but it never gets any better. So I don't know how else to say this. But it's like the shit that I've discovered going on in my world. Jesus. It's, ah. And, and the only person who put it there is me. And the only person who can transform it as me and so to face the jungle and the zoo and the oh god the whole dark side you know in there is just it's a vicious you know it's like god let's go to mcdonald's and there's such a there's no support for this stuff unless you're in an environment like this which is not so different from the gurdjieff school which is there is this stuff called attention you have attention and it's either conscious or unconscious and it's doing something. And it's basically the only thing you've got to work with is your attention. And if you're not using it, something else is. And so, and then there's some really incredible stuff you can do with your attention. And so that whole thing about, like I would watch Lee Loswick, for example, he would sit down in a, in a talk and he would start telling a story and then he would tell another story inside of that story. And then he would tell another story inside of that story. And he would go down six layers. He could, and he knew all six layers. And then he, to prove it, he would back out. And he would come out of that layer, come out of that layer, and come out of that layer. And, and it was like, you know, it was, a, it was a demonstration of splitting attention six times, holding space, and and navigating space. And it's just this, it's this, extraordinary it's absurdly effective ability to split attention and hold space and navigate space and that is what's required for self-observation otherwise you just get lost into the thing that you're observing you observe one thing separate from where you are and then you get stuck into that and everything up and you're back to one again mm. and so mm. you know that would be the main our main 
topic of conversation was split, you know, self-observation. Mm. And let me make a distinction about it, which is the Gurdjieff work does this distinction about considering. Have you ever heard about that? Mm-hmm. So the considering is they have two kinds of considering. One is external considering, which essentially means being offended. Like you shouldn't do that or that's not okay. <clears throat> it, or you know, being offended about somebody else's unconsciousness or their competition or the way they're invading your space or whatever they're doing, control their thing, you know, and that's being offended. And that's called external considering. And the main practice there is to endure the unpleasant manifestation of others. That's the practice. Endure, consciously endure the unpleasant manifestation of others. And we we call this box technology. You know, the nits and the reactions and the box buttons, hooks, triggers, traumas, voices, you know, all this stuff. That's this uh, allowing, you know, enduring the unpleasant manifestations of others without reacting. The other, the other kind of considering is called internal considering. And that's about internal nav- inner navigating. It's about really, it's becoming home in a place that modern culture doesn't even know exists inside yourself. And it's to be present with yourself. And internal considering is what is what the self-observation is really about, is to notice, is to inter-navigate and n- notice especially where you're not allowed to go inside, where you're not permitted to put your attention, where you're not permitted to investigate. What, what sacred cows do you have in there that cannot be questioned, are just disallowed by your fundamental psychological identity? Just forbidden, verboten. You know, that's the places especially to notice, places where you can't notice. And one of the practices for that is to notice how our eyes and our attention are, since birth, are attracted to bright things and colorful things. So, you know, if you walk into a room at night, mostly what you look at is the LEDs that are shining from all the devices that are on. And and if you don't notice that you're doing that, then these bright lights capture your attention and you don't have free attention because it's captured by LED lights in the dark room because you look at bright things. And so the practices look in dark things. Look look in the dark places. So I've been practicing that for years. I walk into space and the first thing I look is up because, well, that's where the presiding deity of the space is for one thing, usually above the door of the space. And most people don't look up because... I don't know why, because we're, it, it doesn't so much matter. We're, we're like the predi- predators on us are not eagles. We don't usually look up and, and watch out for owls or, you know, attacks from above. What we watch out for are snakes and rocks. And if we trip and fall or things, you know, poison ivy or whatever, we're looking down. usually. So human beings basically don't look up. And that's why in malls and places like that, shopping zones, they don't even put a ceiling on the place. You know, it's expensive to put a ceiling on a place. They just have all these, they painted black or whatever, and they put all these pipes and electricity <laughs> and everything. It's totally exposed, and you don't even notice it because you're looking down, you don't look up. So if you start practicing looking in dark places and looking up, which is a completely non-mechanical behavior, then, then you'll notice what's not being said or as notice where you cannot place your attention. You'll notice the quiet 
you know, we're so attracted to noise. And so it's like to notice the spaces, the gaps, the, the places between and the dark places, the silent places. That's and then use that, you use that as a practice when you're walking around. You just look under cars, you know, look in shadows behind buildings, you know, notice behind the garbage can, you notice behind the refrigerator, if all that, you're just looking in these shadow places under the couch and stuff. And you just go, you're just part of your noticing. You're not trying to only do that, but at first you have to force yourself because you forget, or it's just so automatic to not look and look at the bright things, you know. And, when we're babies, you know, they come up and have this really bright, you know, hey, I want a candy. Where's it? And it's bright. You know, it's this bright, it's something, and you focus down on the lights or the, the, the bright things. And there are, so we're just trained that way. And so this is about getting new behaviors that allow you to look in the shadow world. Mm-hmm. And that, that will free up your attention from, <laughs> you, you know, she didn't do this or, He's always doing that. And that's that's the bright thing that you're looking at. And then you lose the extraordinary possibility of the value of something that's happening over here where you're not focused on. And then that's where you can source your story from or the space from is the not bright thing. Because mm. our buttons, hooks, triggers, traumas, and all that are bright in our world. Yeah. When we started the conversation, you were talking about relying uh, radically on the bright principles and the archetypal. So this is to me in the category of the active things, of the on the on the on the bright things or on the on the things that that you can the, the, that you can see results or or that you can see the transformation or we're talking. Patricia, we're talking about how do you get access, how do you free up your attention mm-hmm. so that those archetypal forces can move your attention. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about freeing up your getting free attention. And we don't have free attention because we're focused on the bright things, the colorful things, the shiny things, mm-hmm. and and our and the emotionally reactive things. We're focused mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. And then we bounce from that to that to that to that. And 98% of the world is missing from us because it's not bright. And then if we don't have free attention because we're, we're, we're attracted to the bright things, then the archetypal forces cannot support us. They cannot move our attention. So this whole, this is about our work as trainers and also to help other people live in the world. I mean, most people do not live in the world. Most people live in their con- their mimetic constructs and their, and their zombie reactions. That's where most people live. And so our job is to also help other people get free attention. And so then there's all this baggage in the way, all this stuff in the way. And you can't, you can't just talk about it. Yes, we know you have to go through these processes. You have to go through this complete Phoenix process, this liquid state so that something else is possible. But, but 98, really 98% of the entire like the world is mostly invisible to to most people because they don't have free attention. And then and then you can start noticing things. Like around here in Vietnam, every now and then they have these fires going and somebody will throw plastic in the fire just to get rid of shit because they don't know better. And so it's a, you know, this is, this is the dioxin shit that's going up in the smoke and you can smell it. And that's, so I'm getting, I get a, it's right in the early morning or in the evening, especially before it rains, they do these fires. 
we just shut down the whole house. And so like, you got to notice that's the Teflon thing. You got Teflon and you're, you're eating this plastic shit because everybody is, because it's hard to get any other kind of pot. I mean, when we came from Italy to Vietnam through Paris and Oman, we're, I'm carrying stainless steel pots in my roll-on bag, my carry-on bag, because, because every place only has Teflon. And so now we have stainless steel pots. So anyway, I'm just saying it takes extra efforts to take responsibility for the stuff you notice that nobody else is noticing. Yeah. And my 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 question is how does noticing relating to to actually taking action or doing something? Well, can you take action without noticing it first? No, you cannot. Well, you can, but you're doing this right now. Is that conscious or unconscious? It's unconscious. Yeah, and so you can do a lot. You can do a lot, but it's all unconscious reactivity. It's all unconscious. And so you can do it. You can live your whole life unconsciously. So that's not the point. The point is getting, getting able to take conscious responsibility. So... So your question was, how do you get, how do you, how do you take your attention and make it into action? Yeah. What's the relationship between attention and action? Okay. So the, I was saying, unless you can place your attention there, you cannot take action, conscious action. There. So it comes down to where can you place your attention? Where, where are you permitted? Where are you granted? How can you grant? This is the pirate thing. How can you grant yourself permission to put your attention on stuff that nobody else is putting your attention on, or even people are making efforts for you to not put your attention? And you know the pot, the people making Teflon want you to put your attention on. Well, how easy it is to fry your eggs. That's what they want you to put your attention on, avoiding the fact that they're making a toxic world and poisoning people. Hmm. And so, and so the taking action part also requires the anger, you know, and the emotions and the feelings, because that's one of our first discoveries in possibility management was if people don't have their anger, they're going to, they can't do anything. They can't choose something. They can't act, take action. And so that's, so there's a massive amount of, of work to do for other people, but if we're not, you know, as the trainers, if we're not ongoingly developing our capacity to place and split and share attention, <laughs> then we're not trainers. I mean, there was a comment from Aunt Chloe, this thing she heard people say, it was easier to be a trainer than to become a trainer. Mm. Well, why is that? Well, it's because once you have achieved the certificate level, <laughs> they've said that you can deliver and expand the box training, you are a trainer. And that's it. You've made it. And then people will bow down at your feet and you get to stand in front of the classroom and draw pictures. So so this is not a trainer. So this so the path doesn't doesn't end. It doesn't never end. In fact, it gets worse and harder and Practicing to your last breath. I mean, this is the four enemies of a person on the path, four enemies of a trainer. And to, to go along that path, you can't, you can't 
You cannot jump ahead from where you are. It doesn't work. You cannot go through a door before you're at the door. You cannot jump ahead. You need to do the steps. And so that's why we're, I mean, for me, that's why we're here together in this space is to just keep helping each other along the steps, you know, because who else is going to have this conversation? Who else will have this conversation with us? Yeah. Anna, did you want to say something earlier? Yes, because I, I, I it's so incredible how I could, it is like the, um, the extension of the infinity ring conversation I had before here. <laughs> and uh, it is exactly what we were talking about. And, and also this, the whole lab. Yeah. Including. And um, we did, we research about the capacity of inventing stuff to allow liquid state not, not to happen and how creative is the box and, and actually the, the gremlin to use the box to not allow the feedback to land. And mm. and that is like really take it out, doing something else with the feedback, how much really uh, sometimes a force is needed to to make this crack in the box. And that I uh, I had this experience about of you know about this thing about the 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 participants cannot go through the door if if they are not at the door so if they are two different things that there were one specific participant or two they could see that they could they could acknowledge they are blocking the feedback. So they could have the attention on this and noticing I am blocking the feedback, but they could not get liquid about it. It was still already the admitting part, say, it was already in a strategy to not get liquid about it. And it's almost using also PM to distract themselves, you know, distinctions, <laughs> using certain distinctions and start to distract themselves to go into the painful process of let this feedback in and how much um, elegance is needed also as a trainer to navigate those spaces, which I felt a little bit like with big clothes, you know, and and because it was a kick-ass lab, yeah? And I felt like in my, in my, with my trainer clothes having, you know, not owning yet, not elegant enough and in this and still like going for it <laughs> so I, I need to start somewhere yeah and this is and this is how i get somewhere else is by going through this process of not being elegant yet and um and the same thing happens in the conversation before when someone did not want to let the feedback in about what she is creating in the game world and she's complaining about this creation and so this this part of the attention is just so magical and at the same time is so so when as a trainer also to as you wish it's fine you know how much to to go to offer um doorways and then to also leave it and say it is fine 
and also to go for it. This, um, yeah, this dance is alive in me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I want to share, can I share a legend, please? Go. <laughs> there was this moment because um, in a conversation many, many months ago, um, at Clinton and Anne and Tristan and I, we were talking about that a training and expand the box training and a lab, they start with the collaboration of the archetypal feminine and the masculine collaborating together. And this has been percolating in me. And in the lab, the situation happened where a man, he had like almost a celebration about, I want to have this emotional healing process of what, why I'm not committing to what I'm committing. I commit and then I forget. And he started to almost celebrate that. And it was something so odd about it because I have heard this before lots of the time. It's not the first time he has an EHP like that. And at the same time, I felt that it's not, I, it is not, it is not my territory or something like that. It's a woman. And then I had a look on Tristan and Tristan had a look on me. And he stood up and it, I think it was the first experience of him pulling the rack off, out <laughs> of someone's reality. And he went there and said, this is so boring. This is so boring. What are you saying? It is like the same thing, just another day. Of many other days, you have said the same thing. And he started to really confront him in a so relaxed space, but so sharp at the same time. It was so, so elegant, navigated. Wow. And, and it was a men's space that is, and, and I felt so glad there was a man able to step in and navigate with another man in this, uh, in this pulling the rock uh, out and this man really really burning and burning and burning again and again and again until he could not burn anymore and mm. it was like mm. okay this was what needed to happen and we're almost no words in this it was amazing yeah. <laughs> yay tristan you. <laughs> yeah. hey tristan yes <laughs> well i'm i'm sad that he's not here because Mm, we started having a conversation. I had a, a call with Tristan, I think just before the lab, about this question. We finally got to the question that he wanted to ask, which is, I want to jack in into my archetypal lineage. And, and, and he said, I want to do it now, <laughs> like in the call. And I said, look, it takes preparation. It takes really, uh, it's a path to jack in into your archetypal lineage. And actually in the trainer path, there's very few people who went through this formal initiation of jacking into archetypal lineages, which I think in my experience to some degree is that jacking in is gradual or this space, like we were talking about the free attention to be able to be jacked in is gradual and comes with dropping out baggage and having more and more free attention. But, and the, the formal initiation is, is a formal initiation and it, and it creates something and it changes something. And so I just, because it's something that I almost forgot about until 
we had this conversation with Tristan about this this major core initiation of jacking into one's archetypal lineage. And so I wanted to bring it in the space as it's, I think, a crucial element of becoming a trainer. And what, and, and sort of this conversation of, for me, the, the question I had for Tristan is what's in the way for you to be the thing that can jack in into your archetypal lineage. And we've had this conversation really many times with Vera because this conversation with Vera has been happening for the past like two years or three years almost. And to discover the layers of what's, what's in the way for that initiation to stick, like to really hold when, when it happens or to be real. And one of the things that came up with Tristan, and I think it's relevant uh, for the trainers is, was about being a person of agency. And so Clinton worked on this website called Person of Agency. And I, so I'm inviting you or us to read it. I haven't read it yet entirely or done any of the experiments, but it's something, and it also has to do with being a pirate because being a person of agency is completely being a pirate that are that is independent from any rules or from any for example what was coming up with Tristan I'm sharing this so that we can sort of start moving into the direction of what's in the way of each of us um, but what was coming up for Tristan is that what I what I was hearing him say about what is an archetypal lineage or what is a being or what is a bright principle or how do they work in me or how do they move in me or it didn't come from him it came from what he's heard from other people or what he's read on website or, and it didn't come from him. And so it, it was superficial. I could feel the superficiality of this relationship to forces of nature. And in the superficiality tells me, okay, well, that means at that degree, Tristan doesn't have agency over choosing forces of nature, working with forces of nature, moving them or, and when it happens is mostly accidental. It's like, it's like being in a space held by Anna. It's an extraordinary, it's an archetypal space. There's this feminine at work, there's this masculine at work. And then, and then Tristan is able to move in there, but you know, to be a train or to jack into your archetypal lineages that is being the person, the, the agent person who creates that space in the first place. It doesn't happen by accident because of the, space created by somebody else for example so so any i mean i was going to ask you vera actually where where you are on that on that path or if you've been thinking yeah. about it recently yeah yes and the it came actually that the heal from school lab came from one of the last steps when we spoke about it of the the constructs of right and useful and so you're asking me how it is or what is in the way still or yeah what's in the way still well how, it's both same question yeah my sense is this the the free and natural attention uh, for example i'm i'm in the violence anonymous and i'm i'm noticing how there's there's still a lot of thought where so i i think i gained a lot of um build a lot of matrix and get a lot of mass in this and then I, I still I have these hooks that I 
that I didn't know I had. Like, uh, I, I've just been finding like loads of uh, gateways for emotional healing processes from, you, from things. Can you, can you yeah. mention a few? Yeah. One of them is, uh, if something is unpleasant or someone is, um, in this is in relationship to violence so if someone's doing low drama or is being unpleasant in some way i i need to endure it so because it's not i need to be, uh, to be a strong person i can't just i can't just um not choose things that are going to be hard or unpleasant uh, like what is this life like what am i trying to do if i choose only things that are pleasant for me and so i in in a way that when there's a a potential for a a low drama or a difficult conversation or resistance, there this this part of my box is like okay if I want to be a person in the world and strong I need to be I need to withstand I need to withstand abuse or I need to withstand um, things things like that or violence or um, and I know that uh, and Chloe you and I have talked a little bit about this but there's there's just uh, layers and um another one is this uh there's a, a hook it's it might be bigger than than i can see that right now because it looks kind of a a delicate one but a very well placed where where it's uh it cannot be unfair or this this the fear of being unfair stops me sometimes from mm -hmm. i i know how to pull the rug from under and then sometimes I, I will hesitate or, uh, and, and that was the moment to do it and something else happened instead. Uh, and, and so the, and, and then another one, which is the one that I'm working on is, is this, the, uh, the neutral observer self-observation of without to not go to not, to not give my center to urgency because that's that, that particularly with my, addiction to intensity so then i have something coming up okay and then I, I i now have a practice of okay i'm feeling something first layer is what is the thought that is creating the way that i'm uh, feeling about it like the reaction and then what is it actually happening to go all the way to what are the five five bodies and so so far it's mostly four bodies because it's reactivity it's not anything particularly archetypal in these observations but for example on sunday i i made some invitations to the group here about uh creating uh moving from a question into a research into a quest uh what how, how to do that and and i could feel different impulses and how they would be contaminated with some kind of expectation or or I, I really want this to happen why is it not happening and so that's how I could I could feel impulses that were not just from reaction but then the the best way that I can explain this is the what Clinton once told me which is to try to, to separate the noise from the radio signal and and that's still that's that's the practice that i'm trying to do thank you thank you thank you
turn off that one. Yes, please. And so and I want to add something that Tristan just shared with me. It was a process, one of his process in the lab um, where he discovered this. Um, and I, I think it's not the first time for him, but it was this, these resentment against, against not being appreciated, not being seen for what he's doing. And so he's been, and I, and I've heard all these, also this resentment that I've heard from other people, this resentment of this ex, from this expectation of earth is not what, what I thought it would be. You know, I was, I'm, I, I'm being betrayed. I was betrayed when I was born because my parent couldn't listen to me. They didn't care about my soul or about my heart or about my being. And, and so there's all this resentment against kind of the world or the universe or modern culture or the parents or, and, um, so that, that would be definitely blocks in terms of jacking into an archetypal lineage. There's a way where that is a lineage. My parents are a lineage. So they, they have this force of energy that's behind me that came from their grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents. It came all the way through like a river and it got to me. And I noticed that in my life, these things keep popping up that are ways in which the energy that should be behind me or could be behind me is in front of me. And it's in the way. And that is a real big problem. So, so even if I am jacked into my archetypal lineage, I maybe I have that wind at my back, but there's wind at my front because I've placed my parents on my workbench or I've placed my, or I've placed you guys on, you know, like you guys, my team on my workbench because I have resentments there. And I've, and I have resentments to the, the lineage of Rage Club or I have resentments to the lineage of possibility management or, you know, all these different lineages that are supposed to be at my back or could be at my back giving me wind and propelling me forward and my archetypal lineage at my back propelling me forward, but they're in front of me instead. And so, yeah, that, that, that's in my way. I keep noticing things bubble up like another one. And it happened this week with realizing that I had all this time have been leaving messes all around my life with the expectation that my father would save me from the chaos of my mother and of my life and of the world. And I, and I resented him my whole life. And so the process was going through that pain and then withdrawing the expectation from forever from, from him to do that for me. And right, it was it was cool because right after the that, that emotional healing process, I went around my house and I just cleaned up all the messes immediately. And it was easy. You know, it was like the wind was at my back all of a sudden. It was yeah. cool. And what a cool conversation about <clears throat> the kinds of lineages. They're they're like streams, like airstreams or something, that flows. And which one which ones are you, what are you going to choose? If you don't choose, then it's this massive chaotic this way and that way in front of you and behind you. And it's just this huge mess. And the indigenous lineage choice for you is to become a member of the tribe with all its traditions. And then the ancestors are your only lineage and everything else is wiped off. And you become this whatever a, a Maori, you become you know it's a, one of the tribes. You become this kind of thing that says 
This is who the human beings are and everything else is edible. Every, every other creature are the edible ones. And it's like impossibility management as a trainer. I mean, that's what the specialty thing is that hasn't been clarified like this is choosing your lineage. And then, and then you put, you know, if you don't put your parents behind you, then it's a mess on your table. If you don't put you know, all these, if you don't put your gremlin at your side, then he's going to make resentments. So you, you got to put these, you have to organize yourself. Like you said, clean up your messes. And the, this thing about the human lineages is really a powerful force for someone who does not have the option of choosing their archetypal lineage. And so you put when you put your when you put your human ancestors behind you, then your your space is clear, and then you can choose: Are you human? Are you going to do the human lineage game? Is that your choice? Or you can choose to do your archetypal lineage game, which is not human in in the ordinary sense of the low drama unconscious naked monkey, you know, primate manifestation. It's not human. It's archetypal. It's a whole nother domain. And nobody, go ahead. I was just wondering, because we do talk about the lineage of Rage Club, which comes from the source of Rage Club, or the lineage, I mean, I even been writing a lot about the, the source of Expand the Box, that there's a, there's a source called Expand the Box, and then, and so... But then we have our unique archetypal lineage. And I was just thinking about what Patricia was saying in the beginning where you were saying, Clinton, about this basket. And so you would consider in possibility management that we could jump to some degree, we can jack in into different lineage. We can jump from one lineage to the next, depending on what space we're holding space for. As conscious theater. But it is so... Then when then when when you know when you when you go and and live sourcing from this archetypal lineage that it is also with the time evolving into something else. It is not something belonging to one just one thing. It is evolving into also other archetypal lineages. It's something like that that you experience or you experience a really clear belonging to one archetypal lineage in, in your life? In my particular case, for me, for example, in order to create the game world of possibility management, I have had to have a, almost a pretty equal balance between the four lineage categories you know the guardian and the village weaver and the evolutionary and the game world builder it's like to have access to all those or the game world could not fly and, I, and i've noticed in myself and others who when you are aware of the four brain types and each person has this usually a dominant brain that once you're aware of that and you start being able to connect with and relate to brain types that are not your primary brain type, that your inner brain types tend to balance out more. And anybody else notice that? Have you been noticing that? Mm -hmm. 
And so this may be true also with the archetypal lineage thing. You know, it's just a lot to try to come, you know, become all four lineages at the same time. However, it depends on the project you're going to do. What, how are you going to implement? What's, you know, you might have to specialize. You might have to really be a specialist in the, in the village weaver. You might, and a whole domain will open up for you. And that'll be your thing. And that's it. But somebody else will need to build your game world then. You know, and somebody else needs to be the guardian of your game world. And somebody else needs to do the evolutionary processes in your game world. You know, so, so or you do this, like in Chloe saying, shift identity piece. You know, you actually consciously shift identity and call in what's needed and wanted to, to create what's needed and wanted. And then I just want to say, I think human beings have such this vast potential that it's no big deal really for us to do that. Mm. You know, it's possible for us to do that at the same time to take responsibility for the messes in that domain or the, in that domain and clean them up and, and which domain are you in and like, and like, and really hold space for that and facilitate that and really be effect meaning cause something useful, actually serve the village or serve people. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to be able to do that. And I I think it gradually emerges, but I think that the beginning is what is what you focus on. The beginning is what you, you know, that's it. That's the beginning. You begin where you are, you focus on that, you become unreasonably effective or absurdly effective in those skills. And then this the fact that you're absurdly effective in a skill, that that factor can jump over and bring you a absurd effectiveness in other skills because you're skillful because you're you're capable of using skillful means or because you have free attention or because of that so i had this conversation with patricio a while back where his his mastery of his instrument the violin is it the violin or cello it's the viola <clears throat> viola i don't even know what a viola is and <laughs> But his mastery of that thing then can be mapped onto being a trainer in a space and navigating and holding transformational spaces with that level of mastery. But if you're not a master in anything, you know, if you can't nail a hammer and a hammer and nail it straight or make a souffle, you know, or sew a shirt or, you know, repair a car engine and an internal combustion engine, if you can't you don't have some kind of mastery somewhere it's that's the first thing build up mastery in one thing you know and something like child raising you could never have mastery in child raising it's a this is a domain i just i don't know why i'm saying this but that is a domain where you will never have mastery it is it is <laughs> it's this jungle you know it's like the whole child raising or family or that kind of thing and to try to do a single mom child raising in modern culture is so far insane i can't even hardly talk about it it's just it's sick it's so far away from human human dignity it's really there's no dignity in trying to be a single parent in modern culture it's just insane anyway jesse had his hand up for a second and then i don't know yeah, it's it's not it's not really vibrant right now so i'd rather hear from vera 
I uh, recently had a, a call. Yeah, I recently had a call with Patricia Potts because of the, she holds the space where Geyer is hiring and find the vocation. And I asked her this question coming from a space holder of possibilitator. How, you know, give me some hints about holding space for the vocation for the, she calls it vocation, but I, I called it an archetypal lineage for the non-material value to, to emerge. And the way that uh, I understood that Patricia would uh, consider the archetypal lineage is this is a vocation. And it's, it's not, so there's vocation, uh, most people understand vocation as like, I'm a carpenter or something, and that's skill-based. But it's actually a vocation is more of, is what you are what what uh consider more the bright the the force of bright of that combination of bright principles plus the commitment of the being i'm adding she didn't say that this is what I'm, i got from it um, plus the 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 pain and the commitment from the being form a certain kind of vocation which is what what you the person potentially is even in their sleep and that can be really um unfolded and clarified like polished so that the light can come through and and magnify is it is it and it's what i got it's it's not skill based but skills exactly like you said clinton will make it bah, like create it much more it's just like completely different worlds apart yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I i i want to say something about this uh, vocation because <clears throat> like i have the experience that that what what I I really I'm bad at is what my vocation is, like what what is difficult for me, what is a challenge for me, what what is is what is actually intriguing, and and I'm willing to put everything, you know, to 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 bring it into my life. You know, and that that is my experience with with music, but it's also my experience with with uh, relationships. You know, it's just like what is difficult and what is challenging is what it became my vocation. And when you talk, uh, Clinton, about mastery, you know, my my experience is that that mastery is actually when I accept that I can never be a master. <laughs> You know when 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 I finally you know like I'm I'm not you know I accept that I'm fallible that I'm not you know that I have to practice again that I have to look again that I that I'm a beginner every time mm -hmm. and 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 that I mean that that paradox you know to me and that for me because that is my question about jacking into my archetypal lineage. You know that that what is my vocation? What is difficult for me? What is challenging for me is actually what draws me. You know what uh, what I really want to become the space for. And what is it? Um, I mean, there are so many things that are difficult for me. <laughs> you know, <it's> just, <laughs> that is just like, oh, okay, okay, let's go. You know, but like for example, uh, like like right now, I mean, being a trainer is difficult. It's it's a challenge. 
be, hold the space for Rage Club is 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 a challenge for me. You know, it's it's really straight. Yeah, I mean, it's all involved in create like you know being in this team is is a challenge for me. So yeah, so what is what is my what is my archetypal lineage? I mean, what is the 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 space that I can hold for for archetypal lineage? There's this question that, and Chloe and I have been investigating. We got from a book or something about loyalty. Where is that from, and Chloe? Derek Jensen, I think. From what? Derek Jensen. Derek. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's. Like I was saying about the complexity and sophistication of consciousness being so rich with opportunity and choices and awareness and so rich with that. And then the more we get in touch with that, the more the more free attention we have, the more access we have, that has to us, then we have these choices to make. It's like, oh God, do I do this or that or this or what you know, where's my Field and it's like and then then we get we get to really choose and this is for me it's been just so useful to, you know to have the sword out the sword out and then it doesn't go away the sword is always <laughs> there and and then the stuff goes by all these things go by because I have a choice to be loyal to a specific format or a specific. Mm. Um, perspective or framework a specific <laughs> context and the rest is bullshit the rest is irrelevant the rest you know people have all their concerns about whatever whatever and i'm just holding my one thing and so if i'm not willing to like you said sacrifice everything else then i'm i'm going to be confused I'm going to be this here and this here, and I'll be, you know, adaptive, and I'll be a chameleon, and I'll fit in, and I'll do whatever, and I'll have a life like that. And I don't, I don't want a life like that. I, I don't know. That's I see so many people. I mean, that's that's it. anyway. It's not interesting for me. What's interesting for me is having my sword out, letting everything else fall aside, except for this thing that I'm loyal to, that I've chosen, <clears throat> that I choose. Is, and I'm loyal to that. And then I can do experiments. I can make a little experiment here and go, how's that? Nah, it's not going to do anything. How's that? Well, that's kind of interesting. All right. Let's kind of go over there for a while. You know, and I can do these experiments. But if there's all these things happening at the same time, what experiment can you do? It's just like, how much can you endure? How much chaos and insanity can you endure? And And so... You know, conveniently, my parents have died. You know, so I don't, so they are back there. I don't have no parents in front of me. And most of my relatives are gone. So that whole thing, but, but even when they were alive, they were still gone. They were still out of my world. You know, if they called me or I called them or whatever, and it's conscious theater and haha, yeah, thank you. That was wonderful. I love you. Thank you for everything. But it was, there was no engagement of, of their world and and that left them i mean my dad would read radiant joy brilliant love book to my mother it was like the, the one book he carried around and he kept reading the book to my mother the radiant joy brilliant love book 
And that was, I, it was just, it was kind of amazing. But even when he died, you know, they had to separate them because he had this unconscious violence coming up because he had adult onset hydrocephalus. This is the water replaced his brain because he had this car accident and it shut off the valve and let the water come out of his brain. And so the water just kept going bigger and bigger and the brain kept getting smaller and smaller and they didn't discover it till eight years later. And so he was had this reactivity anyway, but he was still in this, he, one of his last possessions was the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love Book that he had along with his underwear. And it was just like, wow, that was something, something, I don't know, he had the freedom to do that because he wasn't in in front of me. It was like he was he was back there, and so we have this. We can choose what we're loyal to, and it does not have to be reasonable. I I heard you say uh, Clinton before, and maybe I, I misheard it, but that that choosing is conscious theater. Yeah, if it's not, then it's just reaction, sister. If it is not conscious theater, if it's and it, mm. you know, if you you get to choose what role you get to play, mm. and if if you don't choose, then it's unconscious theater. But it's always theater. All theater. I mean, psychological psychology is just this theater. Mm. Devin, can you say something? I knew it was coming. <laughs> and as a result, I prepared nothing. <laughs> Good. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, there's uh, the most recent thing I just grabbed onto this thing you were saying about the sword, Clinton, having, having a sword to what I, I had this experience in a rage club that I was holding recently where I realized there's some way where I've, been holding space as a rage club space holder and and there's there, there there are great things happening in the rage club and there's some way where i've let things slide with certain with certain people doing certain things and actually when we were in when we were in shasta delivering this uh rage club that's where i first started to track it that there are certain gremlins that i just ignore in the space be, not because they're not destroying the space it's like they are they're bringing something into the space that's destroying it but there's some way i've it's less frightening something like this this is what i discovered it's less frightening for me to tolerate it than to than to go over be really committed to them in the space and just start talking and <clears throat> and when we walked out of that space i was really like I kind of had this experience that this is this will be the last time. I don't know what mess I might make in the future talking to someone. I I have a lot of fear because there might be some some reactivity. I might say it like it's a total crazy, like a, look like a crazy person, but I realize there's something going on where I just need to start talking to these people. And so, in a rage club, recent rage club, I really started to do that with one person with one person who who brought this argument thing into the space about, I don't know what it was even about. And I, and he would say something to me and I would just keep holding the distinction, holding the distinction. And I could watch a part of me wanting to say, wanting to say, yeah, what you're saying is kind of reasonable 
or something like that. And to just not say that. And I could just see on his face this refusal to at all let what I was saying in even a little bit. And but I kept talking and what I saw was all the people on the screen around him, this thing landing in them. And 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 ultimately with him, I mean, there was this question that came earlier in the space today, but it was the first time I did the three doors thing and basically said, I, this is the third door. You have your possibility. Do it or don't do it. We're moving on. And when I think about, I mean, space holding or archetypal lineage or any the stuff we've been talking about today, for me, this would be one of the massive edges of of much more deeply refusing to refusing to move from distinctions that I've lived. And that's what it was today, or that's what it was in the rage. It was a distinction that was clear in me and I never stood for it or something like that. It's the first time standing for it. Uh, yeah. Seeing where else, becoming fierce. That's kind of mm -hmm. how Vera articulated it. Something about becoming fierce about things and Anyway, I love this question of what's standing, what's in the way of jacking into my archetypal lineage, because so much of it comes down to uh, a, con a kind of working with my attention, working with my consciousness and attention so I can have more space to breathe and just have three things in front of me instead of 70 or something that I can barely look at. Um, I, I could talk more about that, but I noticed that's been the practice lately is reducing the number of places where my attention is meaningfully engaged. And it's what's emerging from that is a clarity about what matters and a deliberateness about how to move too, um, rather than kind of incidentally I move this way or accidentally move that way. Like, no, really, uh, choosing to to move in a direction i know is a very gurdjieffian thing too but somehow it's it's emerging as i'm getting grokking that reality a little bit more i have missed your vocabulary Devin. i can't like uh -huh. writing words uh -huh. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> i want to throw in a trainer note because somebody's watching the tape or for Devin in particular when you're in this space and you have this kind of gremlin that looks hopeless or just is just so dedicated to its own gremlinness as a survival strategy and having before noticed that what you would do is just ignore it or not face it now choosing to face it is it could take you a year or two to learn what i'm going to say right now which mm -hmm. is i encourage you to have at least three or four strategies to be working with that kind of a gremlin and because because it's true if you put your attention on that kind of gremlin in directly the, it, the that gremlin will be is feeding and will feed on that it's been asking for your attention in that way and then it can confront or do its thing and then you have this gremlin war thing and that's totally home for that gremlin mm -hmm. and so Yes, there's a, there's a precision with the sword out and the fierceness where that's one possibility, but I wanted to offer humor 
you know, just kind of basically making jokes about pe- there's some certain people in the world who have this kind of a gremlin who does blah, blah, blah. And it, and it's people get it and they laugh and it's not necessarily a gremlin thing making fun of the other person, but it's humorous that people would think that that's value or that mm. they spend their time and energy doing something as weird as that. And then you can also add in carom shots. And so you're talking to somebody else about this, you know, would you ever be in a space where there's a gremlin who's doing this kind of thing and you're, you're looking at that other person, but you're bouncing what you're saying off to the gremlin and that comes in sideways. They cannot really defend against it. Mm. And so, and then, and there's other, what I was just saying is keep a multitude of, of, I'm suggesting this, is keeping a multitude of possibilities, at least three or four, and then consistently bouncing like randomly between them so that it's not predictable the way you're going to be doing it, but you you don't just ignore it, you know, as before, it doesn't really help, but this this will put a crack in here, pull the rug out a little bit there, pull a thread out of the thing here, add a shower of uh, ridiculousness here on top of it, some of this powder ridiculousness. And you can do all these things and you don't really know what's going to work and it might not work that time. But if a person wants out of their prison, they will come back for more because there's no other place in the world that has these meta conversations going on, multiple meta conversations at the same time that give this person some breathing space with this grip of survival strategy of their gremlin that's cut off all intimacy, all success, all creation, all love. This just cut that off. And they're trapped in there. And you, you're the one giving them little spaces of, God, some life could happen. Mm. But I, I'm just encouraging you not to just focus on the fierce thing now, but just to get yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think part of why uh, your point's not missed. Part of why this is coming up as turning toward them is even with the carom shots, like there's some way I've been not consciously using them or something like that, where it's like, I can feel this. Okay, what if I save this over here? So there's something about turning toward what's happening in in that dark spot. And and yeah, I'll definitely maybe ask for a couple more of these things to things to practice or work with. Well, I had uh, two, um, I mean, Clinton mentioned it and, and they all are to some degree, but it's uh, having a meta conversation with the, with the whole team. And another one is. I said, I said multiple. Meta multiple. Yeah. I mean, they I mean, all are. Talk about splitting your attention, yeah. having multiple meta conversations. It's, it's only a mirror of this of the incredible possibility of consciousness. So it's, a, it's just an ecstatic, joyful thing to have multiple meta conversations, not just one. And and one is, but it, it might be too close to your your avoidance strategy, Devin. But it's silence, still being towards the person, holding a complete just space of silence while still energetically be connected and with the person. And, and while, uh, yeah. while we're doing this, I'll just throw in one more, which mm-hmm. is give it a name. Give mm-hmm. it a name like the the backstabber or the ah the backstabber's back. You know, whatever. Yeah. And then people all just nod their head and it's gone. It has no power because you gave it a name. It's packaged. Everybody gets it. 
And it's just like, it's just the backstabber. I was just thinking, this would have been a great, one of these guys had this like big, huge share in the beginning. I was so soapboxy and really just like right away, I was like, there, this guy is going to ruin the space tonight. <laughs> and, and and then he walked out later, like two of these guys walked, but it would have been so great because everyone knew him to just be like, is he always, is this how he always is? Is this always like something like that? I'm just, yeah. Anyway, I, I really did not have access to that in the moment of, uh, of taking it too seriously or something, but I like this backstabber. What the name? Yeah, give it a name. Yeah, an identity name. I mean, one other that I use, but not really often, because it's kind of delicate, is I, I asked a person who's stuck with one story, I asked them to, to, to tell the story that I'm wanting them to tell. So I said, what, please, please say this instead. And you have to be careful for people who are really adaptive or stuff like that, but, and, and to see how it feels for them. To, to say a completely different story than what they're attached to. Ah, uh, okay. So if they're not getting, if they're not, if they're just not budging or something yeah. like that. But... So try it out. Okay, cool. They don't even have the grooves in the brain mm -hmm. to, to, to put a sentence together in that way. And they, if, they, if they say exactly what Anne Chloe says, it starts a new groove in their brain. That's and so... I could never even, I couldn't even imagine being able to say this before. You know, it's like a mm. whole new way of, of be relating to the world. And, and often it's really, it works well with if there's a team and they say something different and you see how other people are lighting, lighting up or like finally they feel connected or they celebrating and the person's like, ah, because they, they have a completely different feedback from their team. That even if the sentence doesn't come from them. I'm remembering the thing was anger's reason anger has to be reasonable or something. That was the meme. Like mm. ang anger's got to be reasonable, otherwise, whatever. And to have someone say, My anger no longer has to be reasonable, just would be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Thanks for that. I wanted to share sort of a I wanted to share some discovery I've been making about, because last week we had this conversation about, we started going through the 64 now dimension of unfolding, the dimensions to unfold to become the thing that is able to deliver expand the box training. And the first one was commitment to the trainer path. And this conversation about what, what's in the way, you know, what's in the way of our ability to commit I mean, not even to the trainer path, just in life. What, what's all the ways that we avoid integrity or accountability or keeping our word or making a promise and keeping the promise and all, all this thing. So anyway, I was researching that in myself and I discovered that something really interesting for me, who's a red brain or, or have a majority of a red brain or, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a doer in a way, uh, it angers my home, is commitment is a thing then I cannot will. I cannot force myself to be committed. It's a fake commitment. It's a manipulation if I do that. It's a positive thinking or I'm, I'm so it's, it's impossible basically for somebody to say, I want to be committed or I declare that I'm committed because even a declaration doesn't create commitment. And so I, 
I was thinking about, okay, what, what is the thing that creates commitment then? If I cannot do anything about my commitment, it's like, I don't want to be in this powerless, you know, space, but at the same time, it is sort of powerless in that way in terms of doing. And so, and, and I, I just want to say, and what I found interesting is that in modern culture, it's like what Verya was saying about vocation as skill-based. You're a carpenter. You can learn to be a carpenter. You just go to the carpentry and you do carpentry every day and you might eventually become a carpenter. And, and in, in archiarchy, vocation are being-based. And you can't chisel your being like out of, out of pure will, out of pure force or pure strength. And, and so I think now I realize, you know, I mean, I'm starting a Rage Club Spaceholder training on Sunday. It's like, and then I see possibilitators sort of trying to chisel out their being to become possibilitators, like to, to make it skill-based. And it's, it's not skill-based. And that's why then it's a superficial, they're not holding the context, they're holding a skill in front of whatever in front of them instead of holding a being and so this this question about how how do i commit like how do i change the shape of my being so that i'm committed i'm loyal to one context and i can hold my sword out and everything falls apart and it's it is the way it is i'm not having a discussion with all these parts that are falling apart it is, it is like that and so the, the one way i figured out is for example for the trainer path is well, maybe you can become committed to, to become the thing that will be committed to the trainer path. It's like you, you take it a couple steps back or at least one step back of, I commit to become the thing that will be committed to the trainer path. And I think at that level, there's possibility for practical experiments, for real, you know, and which are not, you're not, tr you're not, trying to become committed to the trainer path. You're not forcing yourself to be committed to the trainer path. You just are in this commitment that eventually you will, you, you're wanting to, you're working towards being committed. Something like that. And then, yeah, go ahead, Jesse. Yeah, I've been, I've got pages of sketches and, and notes here about doing this new map and old map of commitment. And a lot of it, kind of that yeah it really it threads into what you're saying in that what I've noticed about because I mostly exist on the old map of commitment and so I can fathom I can fathom a new map but I, I know the old map well <laughs> and the old map of commitment is commitments exist somewhere else really they don't even exist here mm -hmm. and so I orient to commitment as it's as it's like to my partner, to my relationship, to my job, to the responsibilities of my job. None of these things are here. And because I have little inner structure to support the context of responsibility. So my sphere of responsibility is really defined by my inner structure. I cannot have a broader sphere of responsibility with little inner structure. And so what I end up doing is I end up relating to these commitments as these other centers of gravity that I end up orbiting. Mm -hmm. And so I find myself like trying to stretch my, my superficial sphere of responsibility out to these, 
these things that are out there because I said I would, because I'm supposed to, because I should, because I have to. And it's a total victim state in relationship to commitment. And and so I end up constantly creating competing commitments because whatever commitments are competing commitments, because I've also, I, I can't be in the orbit of two different things at once even. And so, so the, the difference or the distinction that I'm fathoming is that commitment emerges f- from the creation of inner structure. Commitment is, is, is a, an, a potentially a result of the creation and the broadening of my inner structure. And that if, if I have a sufficient inner structure and therefore a, a broader sphere of responsibility, then the commitments exist within that. They just exist, they emerge within that and they orbit my center instead of me orbiting them. And by virtue of that, if I am become with a broader and broader inner structure and therefore a broader and broader capacity for responsibility, my commitments can be like tons. Like Clinton, you became all four archetypal, you connect, you, you plugged into all four archetypal lineages. And to do that, the, the, that inner structure required is, has to be really broad to create this responsibility broad enough to do all four of those things. I think those things are connected. And so it's, I like, it's a mess right now, but I will, I will deliver these maps to you guys when, when I have more clarity that it's getting there. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Those little two minutes just there, Jesse, we should, I'd like to cut it out and mm-hmm. stick it on the commitment website and transcribe it and draw the map from that. That was cool. beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Keep researching. Keep hacking that, please. That's really wonderful. We have a few minutes left, just four minutes. Anything from, from anybody? just one sentence about commitment that there is in this old map of commitment is the this this uh, this meme about I lose something when I commit I lose something <laughs> and in this and for me the commitment is really to go to the point about I choose that I choose this thing and therefore I don't want this and neither this. And this has been so liberating for me because it's about gaining also for a space for this thing to evolve. And this no committing and trying to have everything, yeah, makes the space so full of the 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 uh, competing commitments, the the mixed context. Wow, and I, I was getting at how what I what I lose when I commit to something, what I lose is invisibility. Or what I lose is non-commitment, you know, non-committal. And so I become visible and then attackable. And and then that's has been really dangerous, you know. So it's like to avoid being visible is, is a survival strategy. 
But what I lose is invisibility when I commit. And then I become visible. And it's like, okay, I think there's a whole art form to becoming to the joy of visibility, the joy of commitment, the joy of having a loyalty and as a game space, like you said, on a, like a space in which is clear where you can work and do experiments and cause things to happen. There's a joy of that. It could not happen unless you, unless I commit and become visible. Yeah. There's one other thing that I want to put to the edge of that, that you said <laughs> there, Clinton, that commitments in the old map are, are I'm a slave, really. I'm a slave to my commitments. Mm -hmm. And commitments in the new map is my commitments are actually forces of energy and 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 information or they're, they're they they're energizing me they energize me i'm actually energized by the commitment so it's not a burden it's actually a support in a way there was such a cool image you said they orbit around you mm -hmm. yeah and feed you thank you very much cool I will cut these little parts out um, for about the commitment and sort of put it together in a little video or something and put it on the website and transcribe it. And, and share make it with you. visible. guys, Come on, this whole space with you guys is, is wonderful. Thank mm -hmm. you for being here. Yes. Yes. And I, I just want to sort of brag for uh, just 30 seconds before we end i've been working on the trainer path website and it's been kicking my ass to try to come up with experiments for um trainer pathers but i've also had a lot of joy and i can feel this connection with the muse and more playfulness in my writing and so i when i i really love an experiment i usually i post them for you but the other ones are also good so i'll, I'll keep working on them hopefully by today it'll be it'll be complete to the degree it can be complete Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You. I've been just been such a fountain of of aliveness and fire yes. coming in the in the group. So like I can see that change in your writing too. Yeah, really feels it. Okay, cool. See you next week for those who will be awake. <coughs> next week. Next week. Bye. Bye.